you remember back to when you picked your breakfast cereal? Uh, according to which cartoon-laden box promised the best prize? Remember those days? I remember being at my grandparents' house. Literally, I can remember standing in my grandma's kitchen, having chosen that week's sugar-frosted whatever it was, in order to get a secret message decoder ring. Yeah. You see, I had some grandiose plans for sending and receiving all sorts of secret messages with the neighbor kid. Messages that my grandparents and most importantly my sister would not be able to decode <laughs> and thus foil our plans. I, I can't begin to describe how devastated I was to realize that the only message that that stupid decoder ring would decode was something about how great that brand of cereal was. Yeah, and it wasn't. If, like me, you live with a tinge of angst over this sort of childhood disappointment, you're going to love this morning's message because this morning Jesus is sending you a secret message. What he says in Luke 14 seems to be nothing more than uh, some trite advice for social climbers, unless, of course, you have the secret message decoder, God's Holy Spirit. Do you think I'm nuts yet? Yeah, probably. But in Mark chapter 4, there in verses 11 and 12, Jesus tells us that when he speaks in parables, that he is not using analogies to help more people understand what it is that he's teaching. No, just the opposite. When Jesus speaks in parables, he is camouflaging his truths. He's camouflaging them to prevent the insincere and those who are merely curious from becoming inoculated, becoming hardened, uh, to the spiritual truths that, that, that he is expressing. Listen to what Jesus says there in Mark chapter 4. It says, he answered them, that is his disciples who were asking him why he was teaching in parables. And he says to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that, and then here he quotes Isaiah, they may indeed look and not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. When Jesus says that, does that confuse or surprise you? I think it might. Understand this. Here's why the Lord does this. What he wants are disciples. He isn't looking for people who will merely like what it is that he is teaching. He, he doesn't want people 
who, who agree with what he says. Well, what Jesus wants are men and women who will base their lives on what it is that he's saying, who will live it and who will live for it. What Jesus wants are disciples. And what Jesus is trying to prevent is having those who are just merely casual followers to prevent them from hearing his teaching and thus becoming hardened or inoculated to these spiritual truths that they have absolutely no intention of putting into practice. And yet parables, at the same time that they do that, they allow the spiritually receptive person, the truth seeker, to hear a story that points to a spiritual truth that is greater than the story itself. The spiritually closed person, the one who doesn't want to hear this truth, they hear just another story. But spiritual truth is delivered to the doorstep of the one who desires to receive it. Paul talks about this kind of dynamic in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There he says, the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. So let me warn you, you're in a dangerous place this morning because we're going to take a parable of Jesus and we're going to open up what it is that he's pointing us to. Let me warn you, don't become inoculated. Don't allow yourself to be hardened by merely hearing what it is that Jesus says to us. But grab hold of it and put it into practice. Well, grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, We're going to look at verses 7 through 14. And, And as we look at this passage, I want you to keep in mind that what we are reading is not just Jesus's guide for social climbers, okay? As Jesus has dinner with these Pharisees through parables about humility and social equity, Jesus is going to challenge them to something that is greater than humility or social equity. He's going to challenge them to embrace humility before God, to embrace an eternal perspective. So let's do this. Will you stand with me? I'll read our passage. You can follow along. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. Luke writes, He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said this to the one who had invited him. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Father, I pray that this morning we would not only see the wisdom in the things that you say, but we would get the message behind them. I ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to work in this time, to open our minds and our hearts to the things that you would say to us. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that every ounce of what we perceive, every, every bit of what we hear and comprehend, God, that, that we would receive. We might not be hardened by it, but instead we might be transformed by it. Work that in us in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. It would be fairly easy for us to take what Jesus says here as nothing more than just some advice on how to do well socially, except for the fact that that Luke tells us right there in verse 7 that Jesus says what what he said here, they were parables. And once we know that, then we have got to keep in mind, we've got to understand that there is a second layer of meaning and that's the one we want to go after. That's the one we want to focus on. There is a spiritual truth that that Jesus is seeking to communicate to those who are willing to receive it. Now, let me be very clear on, on something here. We are not spiritualizing this text. We are not taking a, 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 a literal text and assigning to it a manufactured meaning that is more to our liking. No, we are treating this text literally as a parable. It says it's a parable, so we will read it and understand it as a parable. And by definition, a parable is a story that's about something greater than the story. So the parable that Jesus tells here, they don't really sound much like parables, do they? Jesus tells them as he is watching this group of Pharisees seek to choose the best places for themselves. What Jesus describes, the the things he addresses are going on right there in front of him as he speaks about them. They're at a dinner party, and so as always, those who are most important or of highest social rank within the community, they would be seated closest to the host. Now, everyone wants to be seen as most important, don't we? That's just something that's true about us. And so as they come in, what are they doing? They're jockeying for position, like junior hires calling out shotgun before a family trip. You know, each one wants to claim that highest possible seat 
and thus to establish and to display their standing above the others. And seeing this, Jesus offers them some advice. Look at verse 8. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor. Uh, A more distinguished person than you may have been invited, and then it's bad news for you, because then your host will come and say to you, give your place to this man. In other words, you're not as important as he is. Move on down, and in humiliation, you will proceed to take the only seat that's open, which is always the lowest seat. So Jesus says, don't seat yourself above your position, because in that culture, the host would not hesitate to move you if there is someone of higher standing who is present, and that would be rather embarrassing. And so verse 10, he says, but when you're invited, rather take the opposite approach. Go and sit at the lowest place, and then when when your host sees you, he'll come to you and say to you, friend, move up higher. You're seated far too low, and you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And so instead of taking the high position in humility, take the low position and let the host move you up. That way, instead of experiencing public humiliation, you will be publicly honored. But again, Jesus's point here is not to just give advice on how to avoid social embarrassment. He isn't just introducing an interactional maneuver for getting social success. You know, Jesus is pointing towards something far, far greater, a concept that he highlights there in verse 11. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what, though? If you stop and think about it, consider life, your own experiences, I think we have to admit that what Jesus says here is just simply not an accurate description of this life. Plenty of people exalt themselves and don't get humbled. And many who are truly humble live their whole lives unnoticed. You've noticed, haven't you, that the arrogant jerk doesn't always get his comeuppance? in this life. But if we take eternity into account, if we evaluate each life and not just over the course of time here on earth, but in the light of eternity, hey, let me tell you something, justice is always served. What Jesus said is absolutely true. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All through scripture, God promises us that the day will come when he will set all things right. And because of that, and here's our greater truth within this story, we will do far, far better to humble ourselves before God, to seek to have him redeem us 
to let him move us up to the high position rather than an arrogance to assume that we have a high position for ourselves only to have him humble us on judgment day. Remember who he's speaking to? The Pharisees? The Pharisees who were banking on their strict performance of the law to gain them a high position before God? Jesus tells them, and he tells us as well, that they will do better to humble themselves before God, to ask for and to receive his gracious mercy. (laughs) Because otherwise, we're going to get his justice. Their proud, self-declared superiority, it will not mean a thing thing on that day. It will only serve to separate them from God's gracious mercy. Because on that day, God will deliver absolute justice. You ever been wronged and you cry out, I want justice. You don't want absolute justice. I promise you. You just want relative justice. Just compared to that jerk, you want justice. But compared to God's holy, righteous standard of perfection, we don't want real justice. A justice that is more exacting and more demanding than anyone can endure. The warning of God's judgment and of our need to humbly embrace his mercy, it's repeated over and over again all through Scripture, Old Testament and New. I think of Proverbs chapter 3. There the, the writer says, For the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he is a friend to the upright. The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock, but he gives grace to the humble. Or how about James 4.10? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice James doesn't say here in this life, but he will do it. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Hey, hey friends, humility is always a good thing, right? But humility before God, that's vital. That's vital. Both pride and false humility, we find them to be revolting. (laughs) Pridefully thinking that we can measure up to God's standards, it's not revolting, that's fatal. Only those who humble themselves, who, who seek his forgiveness and his mercy will be saved. Humility and mercy or unrelenting justice. It's your choice. Look at verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, the second parable, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. 
You see, social standing in that day, much like today, it was determined and displayed by invitations to events like the one which they were at that moment enjoying. Being invited, it meant that you were important. You were an insider. And so the socially acceptable thing it was to invite those who had invited you to boost their standing just as they had boosted yours. I'm sure that as they looked around that room, what they saw were people who were familiar to them, uh, people who they had invited to boost their status and, and their presence and their response would then boost their presence back. Jesus here suggests a different approach. He says, verse 13, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, throw out this whole system. He says, invite those who are poor and maimed and lame and blind, those who, who had no standing, who had no power, those who the Pharisees would have viewed as under the judgment of God. They wouldn't have been a boost to social standing. They would have drugged social standing right down into the gutter. And if you do that, Jesus says, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. So Jesus tells them and tells us to reject the whole social system, uh, to invite and to include those who have no status, no power, no boost, to break free from this world's quid pro quo. You know that if you help me, I'll help you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, that system where everything is done really out of self-interest. And where other people, they merely become pawns who boost you or who drag you down. But again, Jesus is not merely offering advice for improving your social dynamics. It's a parable. So there's a greater truth that Jesus is pointing to. And again, I think it's right there. Look at the end of verse 14. Those who invite the powerless will be repaid. Oh, not by those whom they invite. They can't repay them. But at the resurrection of the righteous, uh, what Jesus is pointing us away from is our focus, our tendency to focus on this life uh, from prioritizing our status here. And he is pointing us toward an understanding of how it is that we will see things when we get to eternity. I found the older I get that I just can't eat ice cream. Not like I, oh, I can. It, it just, it, it impacts me differently. And so, you know, you're at a family gathering and they pull out the ice cream and it's beautiful. <laughs> Shimmering and cold, popping with flavor. Maybe you decline it at first, but then when no one's looking, you go grab a big bowl, not the little ones they had out. <laughs> and in that moment, you evaluate things of this life and not of the future that is to come. <laughs> and then you live with regret. And what Jesus is saying is don't live this 
life according to the standards in the experiences of this life, but think ahead. Come on. Think about eternity. Understand that the, the when we're there, we're going to see all of this differently than we see it now. Jesus wants us to consider now how what we do here will be viewed once we have crossed over into eternity. He wants us to live our lives not according to how things are now, but according to how they will be. He wants us to disregard the immediate, the temporal, and to instead prioritize the eternal. For this dinner party of Pharisees, it means that he calls them to abandon their obsession with appearances, always trying to look like they got it all together. Their tendency to make every good deed into a public spectacle so that and no one misses all the neat things they're doing. And instead, well, he calls them in Matthew 6, 3, to not let their left hand know what their right hand is doing whenever it is they're doing something good. Jesus wants them to do what they do because it's the right thing to do, not because it will make them look good. He wants them to do what they do because they love the Lord, not because they're seeking the approval of others. What he's asking them to do is to live for eternity and not for time. What he's asking us to do is just that. To look at our life, at our present situation. What is your present situation? What circumstance in your life has your attention right now? Jesus wants you to see it not through the lens of now, but through the lens of eternity. How will you view this circumstance once you have crossed over to the other side? Will you see it differently then? I think you will. He invites us to step back and to consider our lives to consider how we're living, to contemplate our present circumstances all from the perspective of eternity. And then to live our lives from that point of view. He calls us to humble ourselves, to submit both to his mercy that will redeem us into his perspective that will transform our living. This morning, Jesus sent you a secret message. You've got the decoder ring. You understand what he said. You know that it isn't about dinner parties, but it's about the living of your life. Question is, what will you do with it? You're in a dangerous place. A place where you can turn on one side to transformation and change that will likely upend some things in your life. 
or if you turn the other way, a hardening of your heart towards the Lord, which is a far, far scarier thing than the chaos that the Lord brings when he's doing his work within us. Ask him to take what it is that he said this morning and to speak it clearly and precisely into your life to show you how to apply it. And then ask him for the courage to embrace that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that not only helps us to understand what it is that you've said, but Lord, that empowers us to embrace it, to receive it, and to be changed by it. And God, I pray that we would. I pray that we would be people who are truly humble before you. That we, are, we have no illusions of measuring up, of being good enough, but we have thrown ourselves on your mercy. We have asked your forgiveness, your cleansing, your empowering. And we are looking at our lives, not from our vantage point, but from yours that we are daily asking you to give us your eyes to see this life and the people around us and our situations, that we might live from the perspective of eternity. God, take these things from generic concepts and make them specific realities in our lives. Speak to us each. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.